China has a quarter of the world's Alzheimer's patients. With the country's gray population growing rapidly, the number of patients will likely increase fourfold by 2050. Meet the patients, their families and caregivers, and discover the anxiety, struggle and misconceptions behind one of the biggest problems of an aging society in our documentary, Aging in China, Living with Alzheimer's, on CGTN Radio. For podcast listeners, search The Top Story and find the program on all popular podcast apps on September the 21st, the 30th World Alzheimer's Day. Hello and welcome to The Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents from around the world. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Coming up, the United States' largest auto workers union has threatened to escalate a strike if top automakers do not offer to raise wages. Libyans are rallying to provide humanitarian aid for the flood-ravaged city of Derna. And the China ASEAN Expo is underway, with boosting trade and economic cooperation high on the agenda. We begin in North America. Talks between the United Auto Workers Union and the big three U.S. automakers have continued through the weekend, but still no deal has been agreed on. The head of the union warns that the historic industrial action will expand if the top three car manufacturers do not raise wages. And the strike has become a major political issue. Jim Spellman reports. As negotiations continue, striking auto workers walk the picket line. It feels good that we're actually out here standing up for what we deserve. Um, it's, it, it's hard. This is not something that everybody wants to do. I don't think anybody wants to do this, but this is what we have to do, so this is what we're going to do. The United Auto Workers Union and the big three U.S. automakers, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, parent company of Chrysler and Jeep, continued talks over the weekend. Union leaders say slow progress has been made, but no deal has emerged. The two sides remain far apart on major issues, including pay raises and the elimination of a tiered system that provides less pay and job security for newer employees. The strike currently includes about 13,000 workers at three facilities, but union leaders say that could expand if negotiators don't make significant progress. Meantime, Ford has laid off hundreds of other plant workers, and GM has plans to follow suit, citing ripple effects of the strike on interconnected facilities. Union President Sean Fain has cast the strike as part of a larger struggle against corporate greed. We've been accused of causing a class war. Class war has been going on for 40 years in this country. The billionaire class has been taking everything, and the working class has been left scraping paycheck to paycheck just trying to survive. It's time to put an end to that class war. President Biden has been sympathetic to workers, encouraging automakers to increase their offers. Other prominent Democrats and progressives are speaking out in favor of workers as well. They're not just fighting for decent wages and benefits for automobile workers. They're really standing up to the kind of corporate greed that is impacting tens and tens of millions of Americans. Republicans, including former vice president and current presidential candidate Mike Pence, blame the strike on Biden's economic policies, including the push for a transition to electric vehicles. All those hardworking auto workers are living in the same reality every other American's living in, and that is wages are not keeping up with inflation. I, I also think that this green agenda that is using taxpayer dollars to drive our automotive economy into electric vehicles 
is understandably causing great anxiety among UAW members. Polling ahead of the strike showed broad support for the UAW workers, but that could change if the strike drags on and impacts the U.S. economy. That was James Bowman on the partial strike by U.S. auto workers. Tens of thousands of people have taken to the streets of New York calling for increased actions against climate change. The annual Climate Week coincides with the UN General Assembly and UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres is convening a new Climate Ambition Summit on Wednesday. Jody Jacobs has more. Thousands of protesters have been snaking through the streets of New York with a decisive message for U.S. President Joe Biden. They want him to declare a climate emergency in the U.S. They're also disappointed in the way that he's handled climate change in the U.S. since taking office. Protesters have been calling for him to make those decisive moves. Now, this protest, which saw thousands of people come out, the largest protest since the COVID-19 pandemic, comes just days ahead. That Climate Ambition Summit that's been organized by the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. And the Secretary General is hoping that he can bring all the role players, including world leaders, into one room, one summit, to come up with a decisive plan of action. He is worried as to where the world is going. The world is heating up. July was the hottest month ever recorded in history. And he's really worried about that. He's been making a lot of noise of late about this, saying that world leaders need to come together and find a decisive blueprint as to bring the, the world out of what he's called a catastrophe. That was Jody Jacobs reporting from New York. Now moving on to Africa. Libyans are mobilizing to help the city of Derna, which was devastated by flooding last week. From government officials to ordinary young people, they share one goal, to help Derna stand up again. The city's mayor estimates that the number of people killed by the floods could rise to more than 20,000. Meanwhile, the United Nations says more than 40,000 people have been displaced across Libya. International aid continues to arrive. Adela Maruki reports. Members of the Tripoli Red Crescent office are busy packing and labeling medications. The shelves are getting emptier as the number of packages increases. Everything here is going to Derna city in eastern Libya. This is our fifth convoy so far. Our stocks of blankets, food and almost everything else are running out. We need urgent in-kind donations. Dena is facing a major shortage of fresh water. We have plenty here. Every day, shipments of bottled water live here by trucks heading to Dena. Besides its office in Tripoli, the Libyan Red Crescent has 30 other offices. All of them are doing the same prioritizing urgent needs of Derna city. The youth, too, are heavily engaged in aid initiatives. The Libyan Boy Scouts in the western capital are stacking water bottles, mattresses and blankets. They then load them on trucks heading to emergency teams assisting people in the east. For the first time, we are seeing all Libyan institutions, municipalities working together for one cause. Even the armed forces are joining hands. All Libyans have set aside their political differences. Libya is one, focusing on one humanitarian crisis. There is no place for politics to stand in the way. I think this is a chance to overcome all our differences and revive national unity in Libya. We know that when one city is in pain, the rest of Libya will also feel the pain. The Tripoli-based government's Ministry of Health is collecting blood donations to assist victims of this devastating natural disaster. 
After the blood gets tested and cleared for donation, health officials here will make a rare direct communication with officials from their peril and rival government in the east. All of Libya now has one mission. Everyone wants to assist Derna and other neighboring cities that have been hit hard by the floods. That was Adela Maruki on the aftermath of Libya's flooding. More than a week after Morocco's deadliest earthquake in 60 years, efforts are underway to quantify the damage. Work to rebuild has begun, while roads in the worst-hit areas are still being cleared. Ken Brown reports from the epicenter of the catastrophe. Grief and loss in the Atlas Mountains. Entire villages destroyed. Talat Nyakoub was at the epicenter of the quake, and an urgent clearance operation continues. It's perilous work with rock falls and ongoing aftershocks. Hakim Frindi from the Infrastructure Ministry says the priority is keeping the roads clear, but he's also looking to the future. I think in the long term, from an engineering perspective, it is time to design more resilient roads, taking into account the seismic activity and the dangers posed by earthquakes. Just over a week since this catastrophic earthquake struck Morocco and thoughts have now turned from rescue to recovery and relief. Here at the epicenter of the tragedy, it's clear just how much work needs to be done. On the ground, charitable organizations like the Fuel Relief Fund have been aiding the humanitarian response. They visit camps for the displaced, donating canisters of gas. I've been to 17 major natural disasters in the world. This is one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, And the resilience of these people is amazing. Um, Everybody is so receptive. Mark Daniels is a volunteer from the Netherlands. The people, they're using the fuel to cook, to boil water and to heat themselves. And in the mountains over here, the, the epicenter, it's getting cold. It's getting colder every day. Uh, so people, they need the fuel, they need the propane. With entire villages erased by the earthquake, people are readjusting to life in small camps. Brahim Aoud comes from Imaunen, a tiny hamlet where all 32 houses were destroyed. He sleeps within walking distance of where his home was reduced to rubble. We hope the government can help us rebuild our houses so that everyone can return home and life can continue. We want to stay here. This is where we come from. Hundreds of small camps have been set up in villages in the mountains. People say they don't know how long they'll have to live like this. Most just want a home to return to. That was Ken Brown reporting. Finally, in Asia, the China ASEAN Expo is underway in the southern Chinese city of Nanning. The expo, which celebrates its 20th anniversary this year, has become a major platform to facilitate cooperation between China and the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. On Sunday, Chinese Premier Li Chang delivered a keynote speech at his opening ceremony. Gao Ang reports. Work together for a harmonious home and a shared future and promoting high-quality development of the Belt and Road Initiative and nurturing a new epicenter of growth. This is the theme of the 20th China ASEAN Expo this year. At the opening ceremony on Sunday, Chinese Premier Li Qiang was joined by foreign leaders and senior officials from Cambodia, Laos, Malaysia and several other countries. China will adhere to the basic national policy of opening up. 
deepen the opening up of rules, regulations, management, standards, and other institutional systems, and increase the protection of intellectual property rights. We will make every effort to maintain and promote fair competition, and strive to create a good business environment that allows investors from all over the world to feel at ease, assured, and comfortable. Boosting trade and economic cooperation between China and ASEAN countries. And promoting regional economic integration were high on the agenda. Officials also discussed ways to promote exchanges and cooperation between enterprises from both sides. Official data shows that nearly 2,000 enterprises are attending the expo, up more than 18 percent from last year's edition. Plenty of forums are set to take place during the four-day event. To discuss China-ASEAN cooperation in diverse areas, including e-commerce, environmental protection, energy cooperation, the blue economy, and more, China has remained ASEAN's largest trading partner for 14 consecutive years, and the two sides have been each other's top trading partners for three years in a row. According to officials, advanced technology, sustainable development, and trade and investment facilitation are high on agenda for this year's expo. Organizers have also set up special areas for digital technologies and industrial design, aiming to boost cooperation on all fronts between China and ASEAN countries. That was Gaowan on the China ASEAN Expo in Nanning. Monday marks the 92nd anniversary of the September the 18th incident, which triggered China's 14-year-long war against Japanese aggression. Guan Yang has this report from Shenyang, where the incident occurred 92 years ago. Every year, on the same date, at the same time, in the same location, sirens wail. On the night of September 18, 1931. The Japanese army destroyed a section of railway in Shenyang, accusing Chinese troops of sabotage to justify a full-scale invasion. Ninety-two years later, the memory of this national humiliation still lives on. Our country has fought a bloody battle against its enemies. Many martyrs lost their lives for the hard-won peace. It is necessary to commemorate the event, since many children and young people don't know much about this part of the history. Some even have inaccurate understanding. Over the last two decades, the 918 Historical Museum has welcomed millions of visitors. It serves as a vital site for patriotic education and commemorative events. The museum's collection has expanded thanks to the donation of historical materials by ordinary people. War material donations were carried out on a regular basis, with the purpose of expanding knowledge, deepening awareness, and providing appreciation to visitors from all walks of life. For decades, numerous literary and artistic works offering unique perspectives on the September 18 incident have emerged. The recent stage performance of the Shenyang acrobatic troupe demonstrates a renewed interest from audiences. The rule of thumb of the show is that it has to be based on facts, and we've tried a completely new approach of performance combined with acrobatic techniques in order to bring powerful visual impacts to the audiences. The 14-year Japanese invasion resulted in over 35 million casualties among Chinese troops and civilians. By commemorating the September 18 incident. The Chinese people reaffirm their commitment to never forget this dark chapter in history, and to prevent its repetition. 
That was Guanyang reporting. Before we go, the headlines again. The United States' largest auto workers union has threatened to escalate a strike if top automakers do not offer to raise wages. Libyans are rallying to provide humanitarian aid for the flood-ravaged city of Derna, where its mayor expects the death toll to top 20,000. And the China ASEAN Expo is underway, with boosting trade and economic cooperation high on the agenda. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Thank you for listening.